Welcome to this week's episode of Pour Another Round, where we're here to discover and share the stories behind the breweries filling up your glass. Today, we're chatting with Dustin and Spike from Terrapin Beer Company in Athens, Georgia. And this is a milestone episode for us, number 20. And it's uh, fitting that we've got Terrapin on this episode because they're coming up on their 20th anniversary as well. And did you ever think that we'd make it to episode 20? Honestly, it's allowed us to keep drinking beer and get to talk to a a lot of different breweries. So absolutely, I knew we were going to make it this far, and I can't wait to keep it going. And actually, my most pleasant surprise has been how excited the breweries are actually to chat with us to tell their story. So if anyone out there knows any breweries who would be interested in talking with us, please let us know and we might even buy you a beer. Hey, (laughs) but... Now, to get back to the Terrapin introduction, this episode has some Grateful Dead references with obvious nods to the band. At least they'll be obvious to deadheads. Terrapin also has a great focus on the environmental impact their brewing has. They've developed ways to limit their environmental footprint while ensuring their brewing and their beer footprint reaches really as far and wide as they can. While also making sure their beer is top quality. Well, obviously, that's that's a, a big focus as well. So <laughs> grab yourself a Terrapin beer, maybe play the Terrapin Station Grateful Dead album before listening to this episode, and then once you're really in the Terrapin zone, enjoy our conversation with Dustin and Spike. Cheers to our sponsors. Who doesn't love a good beer special? With Real Craft Pass, you can get two-for-one beers at more than 120 Wisconsin breweries. That's buy one beer and pour another round for free. This is Wisconsin's biggest BOGO brewery booklet. And guess what? What? Pour Another Round listeners can get 10% off any Real Craft Pass booklet. Just use the code POURANOTHERROUND at realcraftpass.com. That's real with two E's like a fishing reel. Not only is there over $800 in savings at Wisconsin breweries, but craft passes are also available for other states like Michigan, Idaho, Wyoming, Montana, and New Hampshire. Just visit realcraftpass.com and at checkout, use the promo code pour another round. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Cameron. We, we like, like beer. beer. Some of the best stories start with beer. Now it's time to make beer the story. Pour another round and drink with us as we explore the stories behind your favorite beers and breweries. Today we're sharing some rounds with Dustin and Spike from Terrapin Beer Company out of Athens, Georgia. Dustin and Spike, welcome to the show and thanks for being here with us today. Hey guys, thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. So this is going to be our 20th episode of Pour Another Round and it's only our second brewery outside of Wisconsin. We spoke with Drecker in Fargo a few weeks ago and we went the complete opposite direction all the way down south from Wisconsin to, to Georgia. So, uh, yeah, we're excited to have you guys here. I'm sure it's a little hotter down here than it is in Fargo. but uh, <laughs> It yeah, might probably. still be blizzarding there. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, Spike, you are one of the founders, yes? Correct. Yep. And then, Dustin, if I'm not mistaken, you were like the first employee of Terrapin? I mean, one of them, yeah. Okay. It's- it was like oh, number uh, two. Is that what? Is that what number, yeah, he got beat out by the other co-founder's uh, cousin. 
Uh, <laughs> technicalities. That's right. <laughs> Had to hire family first, and then Dusty came in after that. Shortly thereafter. First non-family employee. <clears throat> right, <Jared> correct. <laughs> there yeah. we go. So take us back to the humble beginnings of two dudes in a 25-barrel brew house. How did Terrapin come to be? <sighs> Man, it, it kind of goes a lot far farther than that. So... <laughs> You know, I, I went out to brewing school in Woodland, California, and that was back in 1996. And I uh, graduated from uh, American Brewers Guild and uh, got my first job, uh, professional brewing job in Atlanta in 97. And that's where I met my uh, co-founder or business partner, John Cochran. And um, it, it's kind of interesting because this whole story kind of comes circular uh, back and it involves the Atlanta Braves. So it, I remember it was Braves opening day and myself and John and our, our boss, who was the brewmaster at the time, we all went out. Uh, we took the afternoon off and went out to the baseball game. So when we came back next day, uh, the owner of that particular brewery wasn't so happy that we all left work that day. <laughs> So for our penance, and I, and I shit you not, uh, he handed us three rollers and three buckets of tar, and we had to tar, physically tar the parking lot of the brewery. This is like old school punishment here. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so as we're cussing him up and down and rolling the parking lot out, um, we said, well, screw that. We'll start our own brewery. <laughs> there you go. It's a joke. You know, we're just passing the time away. We're like, yeah, we're going to show him. We're going we're gonna to start our own brewery, you know? <laughs> and, and lo and behold, the more we thought about it, I mean, at that time, I think there was two, maybe three breweries in Georgia in 1997-98. So it was kind of interesting. My business partner, John, uh, he bought this book because we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know how to write a business plan or anything. So he buys this book, and what we did is you, you read the chapter, and at the end of the chapter, you answer the questions, right? So there's question and answer at the end of each chapter. And what was cool about it, as you went through the book, and at the end of each chapter, answering these questions, you were actually putting the business plan together by answering these oh, wow. questions. Um, so we did that, but, you know, we had a business plan. We had no money. And back in 1998-99, you know, if you were in a computer company, you know, or, you know, you had a computer business in your basement, you know, no one was really giving anybody any money. So when we talk to investors, they're like, you're not a virtual brewery? Like, <laughs> mortar kind of thing where you guys are going to brew actual beer? And we're like, yeah. So it was probably the worst time to go out and try to get funding to open the brewery. Was that a question though, that you had to answer in uh, your fill in the blank business plan book? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that, that was that wasn't covered in any of our chapters, right? <laughs> so, Is that available on Amazon still? <laughs> <laughs> so we figured, you know, hey, we're not getting any money. We have to kind of broaden our horizons because we knew nothing about the business. So John left that particular brewery and he went to work for a distributor. Right. So why not? Let's learn the distribution side of the brewery. I actually got a chance and I was able to go build another brewery in Atlanta. So I said, man, that's perfect because I'll now get the 
you know, the manufacturing and all that experience of setting up brewery. So we did that. And um, the cool part was, is that I approached the brewery that I was building and I said, hey, do you mind when you guys get off the ground, can we contract brew here and, you know, brew Terrapin under the brewery? Well, of course they agreed to that, but probably about mm, four or five months before they were ready to open, they ran out of funding. Ugh. So John and I were, of course, without a brewery, uh, without any money, uh, with a pretty good business plan, but uh, had nowhere to go. So we redid our business plan again, went after money, and then September 11th happened. Oh, my goodness. So, you know, we were barking up everybody's tree trying to get money. Obviously, after September 11th, that was a little hard. And it took us, you know, five years with no luck trying to raise money. So, you know, I looked at John after about five years and I said, hey, man, you really don't want to send your kids to college, do you? <laughs> um, you know, we kind of rubbed our credit cards together and we started to do what's called contract brewing. And there was a, a local brewery in Atlanta called Dogwood Brewing Company at the time. And uh, it was probably about 10, 15 minutes from where I lived. And I would go down there and brew the beer. And we started contracting. And this was back in 2002. So that year when we got the business going on our credit cards, we won best pale ale in the country with our rye pale ale that year. So that was kind of that was kind of awesome. Um, you know, I, I had actually been I, I didn't go out to Denver that year. I actually went to Oktoberfest in Germany. And I came home and, you know, I had jet lag and it was like Saturday and I'm doing laundry and I get this phone call from the brewer at Dogwood who was at the JBF. And he's like, Spike, you, you just won your right pale ale, best pale ale in the country. I'm like, dude, shut, shut up. up. <laughs> Go away. He goes, no, really, really, really. So, I mean, that's when, you know, we finally realized like, holy cow, we can actually pull this off. I mean, you know, two guys with a dream come out. Out of the gate, 2002, best pale ale in the country. Uh, we beat out 93 other breweries and, you know, game on. Which is crazy to think, like only 93 entries. And think about how many are in there nowadays. It's like, it's absurd, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, it, you know, it, it was just one of those dream come true moments. We were still broke as shit, but, you know, we had a little... <laughs> Pale ale. And that year in 2002, I think we did what, Dustin, 256 barrels or something? I, I don't even think it crested 200. <laughs> I, I want to say it was more like 160 or something. Yeah. For, for all of uh, from all of you at home, probably what, about 300 and some odd kegs, half barrels. That we did in 2002. And what's funny now is like our brew house is 100 barrels. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, that was fantastic. And, um, you know, we, we thought we would expand to Atlanta because we were Athens only because that's where we wanted to put the brewery. We got a distributor in, in Atlanta. We started distributing in Atlanta 2003 or four. And then in 2004, we came out with our second beer. And that was our Terrapin uh, Cream Ale. And that one actually won a silver medal at the World Beer Cup. There was no gold medal awarded that year. So technically we brewed the best cream ale in the world uh, in, in 2004. So our little tagline to ourselves was two years, two beers and two medals. <laughs> Fantastic. 
but yeah, and, 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 you know, it just kept going. And then we finally got some investors. Uh, we all, we bought a brewery in Atlanta. It, it was a, uh, it, it was a, a Mexican brewery uh, or a Mexican themed brewery, if you will. They were brewing some Mexican lagers and uh, we came in there. We were still brewing their beer, but then finally bought their equipment. And then like 2006, we finally moved to, you know, moved that equipment up to Athens took us about a year to install. And then in 2007 is when we started uh, production in our Athens facility. That is the very abridged version. (laughs) I'm sure it was all much more complicated than you make it. Oh yeah. It's so easy too. It's very, very, very easy. So uh, I'm sure he gets this a lot, but how many jokes does John Cochran get about OJ Simpson on a regular basis? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah because his his glove does not fit you must... <laughs> yeah. the brewer's boot does not fit right exactly <laughs> yeah and then dustin how long have you been a part of terrapin and how did you enter the picture after family members were hired <laughs> <laughs> uh I've, I've been i guess i started it was like the end of 2000 and Three beginning at 2004, somewhere right in there. So brewery started. I was living in Athens at the time. And um, I remember going into a, a Mel Mushroom pizza joint in Athens. And it was this tiny little pizza place. I mean, now Mellow Mushrooms are elaborate. But this is It was like five bar stools and three tables. And questionable activity always in the cooler. Without a <laughs> They So... I was sitting there, Terry, they were like, Hey, there's this new beer from Athens on draft. And I ended up trying it there. And I was like, Holy shit, this beer is awesome. <laughs> and um, so we ended up drilling a hole in our fridge and then we were buying kegs cause it was only on draft. So we would put it on draft at the house. And then uh, I moved to Atlanta. Um, I was, you know, going to go move to Colorado and just sweep floors at a brewery and just try to get in the beer business. But before that I was, some of my mountain bike buddies got me a job at an outdoor magazine and I was doing sales for that. Didn't really like that whole concept and ended up uh, going to work at a Taco Mac in Atlanta. There was 108 beers on draft and Terrapin just came into Atlanta. And so I sold Terrapin to every single person that walked in the place. <laughs> and eventually it was like, you know, I think John's cousin had come in there at some point. And was like, <laughs> you like our number four draft account in Atlanta how is this happening? And they're like me. I think the, the <laughs> managers were like, uh, Dustin's a freak. You might want to go talk to him. <laughs> and so then John was basically like, yeah, we want, want you to come work for us for no money. And I was like, that sounds like a great deal. Let's do this. <laughs> and I swear, like for the first year, John would just write me a personal check. And that was how I got paid. Beer, yeah. beer and so, personal yeah. checks. Yeah. I mean, it's, well, we, we didn't even have bottles at the time. It was just draft. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I think it was in 04, uh, middle of 04, like summer of 04, Rye Pale Ale came out in bottles. And that was a huge moment just in general because, you know, we were just all used to going around to bars and selling in the on-premise. And, and that was just mm-hmm. in the DNA, right? And that's how you built a brand. That's how you sample people. And then all of a sudden we got bottles and we're like, holy shit, what do we do with these things? <laughs> we figure out how to go sell these to package stores. And then, well, what do you mean you have to call on Kroger? What does that mean? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And the, the crazy part was, is that, you know, because of the gold medal and, you know, our brand was starting to take off and we were contract brewing in Atlanta. Well, this, this brewery was small. So finally it was like, okay, do you continue brewing at your competition's brewery 
And we were like, well, we're pushing them to their limits. So we needed to find another place to brew our beer. So we looked up and down the East Coast and um, we found a brewery in um, Frederick, Maryland. At the time, uh, it was called Frederick Brewing Company. And picture this, picture John and I walking around Athens and going, hey, Spike and John from Terrapin. And they would scratch their head and go, Terrapin, are you guys from from Maryland? (laughs) No, no, we're from Athens. Oh, Athens? Really? Where's your brewery? Uh, we don't have one yet, but we're, we're going to build one in Athens. And they're like, so where are you brewing your beer right now? Maryland? <laughs> Try selling that. <laughs> so it, it was a little tough, but obviously we got through those years. But it was um, it was just a, a crazy time back in the early 2000s because, you know, the beer, the craft beer industry kind of crashed in the late late 90s you know where we like oh yeah we can do this and it was kind of on its way down you know obviously nothing like it is today but um you know i i think when you go through all that and when you start something with two credit cards and you're working your ass off i i, I don't know for me personally i i just appreciate it every day to look back and see something that we built and, you know, don't get me wrong, I, I'm still a little jealous when I, you know, when I wake up and now, you know, Georgia has 130 breweries, but it's just like, boom, they pop up, you know, they spend five, six million dollars on a facility and they're off to the races. And I'm just, we never had that. And, um, you know, it was just really, really hard for us to get off the ground. And I'm kind of jealous, you know, I'm looking at, you know, how breweries start now. I'm just like, man, I wish we could have done that. The kids have it so easy these days. <laughs> yeah. You, you have a better story out of it though. No, I, I love our story. And, you know, we, you know, begged, borrowed and stealed for everything we had. And, and don't get me wrong. There's a lot of small breweries out there doing the same thing, but right. I sure do get jealous when you wake up, <laughs> you know, a $10 million brewery <clears throat> down the street. And you're just like, Oh man. I mean, it was it was difficult, like selling beer back then, though, you know, because you would go in to an account and, it, you know, now now it's a lot different. I mean, it's not like it's easier. Right. It's still like there's so much competition out there. It's a lot harder. But it, it craft beer was not accepted and no one called it craft beer. Right. No one called it microbrewed beer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like, oh, we don't need microbrews or, oh, we got Newcastle on tap. Yeah. We're good. <laughs> yeah. And Newcastle was on fire back then. And then it's like. You know, to, to tell people like, yeah, we have a pale ale. It's a rye pale ale. They're like rye, like rye whiskey. And we're like, well, kind of like <laughs> rye's a just, malt just, and you use yeah. malt and beer. <laughs> so it was, it was tough to sell back then. I mean, but nowadays it's like, it is a lot easier because it's more accepting, right? Like oh, there's more draft handles out there in every market. And there's more people that say, hey, we want to have X amount of craft beer on most places that have draft had at least one craft beer on. So like it's much more accepting back then it was a lot more education and a lot more uh, just kind of telling people what beer was about. So it's, it's, it's it's so much easier to sell those freaking starburst Twinkie beers than ever before. Right. (laughs) Well, let's, let's pour our first round. We've been talking a lot about the rye pale ale. So let's, let's drink that. And and I want to hear, I want to hear Dustin sell me on this rye pale ale. <laughs> this is truly Spike's baby. Um, I will say that, you know, rye pale ale is 
you know, it means a lot to our brewery in general. And, you know, we had uh, discontinued this beer um, a couple of years back just as, you know, Hopsecutioner and our IPAs really took off. And Rye kind of was in the, a little bit of a, a back seat and it was there where people like loved it and appreciated it, but also all these other brands were coming out and all these other beers. And so we just, you know, we had pulled it back to almost only Georgia. And at that point, you know, we just, from a production standpoint, we were kind of getting to that point with the hundred barrel brew house where we, we didn't feel like we were able to keep the beer as fresh as we needed to in the market. And so we pulled back and said, you know what, we're going to discontinue this. And every, and then as soon as you say it's over, <laughs> Oh my God, that's my favorite beer. What have you done to right. me? Good, good marketing plan there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what we said the whole time was we need to just pull this away. Like, you know, let it hibernate for a minute and then we'll bring it back. And, we actually had a voting last year when the NCAA tournament didn't happen. We ran a vote for your favorite Terrapin beer Man, bracket challenge and Rye Pale Ale destroyed it. And uh, <laughs> we were going to bring it back anyway, but it allowed us to not bring, you know, make two different beers. I just had to make Rye, which is great. <laughs> but we hope to bring it back every year. And, you know, I think it, it, the beer means a lot to us. The artwork means a ton. I mean, you definitely see, you know, a little bit of Jerry in that turtle, Jerry Garcia. And it's just a, it's a killer uh, brand for us. But I think Spike is the one that should really talk to you about this beer because it is truly Spike's baby. All right, Spike, have a go at it. Yeah. So, you know, I started homebrewing this beer back in 93, 94. And it, it was kind of funny because, you know, when, when I did come out and, and, and sample people on it, I was getting feedback that, holy cow, you know, it has this aroma, it has this upfront bitterness, but there was no aftertaste. Because the more people I talked to, that was the big deterrent, was drinking a beer that you can still taste or later, right? So, you know, just, just looking back on my college years, drinking a lot of rye whiskey uh, and how spicy and clean those characters were, I just decided to try to incorporate rye in that grist bill. So with that, I also use like low cohumulone hops like EKG and Fuggle, um, you know, Amarillo to dry hop, some German Magnum uh, in the bittering. But, you know, just made at that time. Don't forget, this is 2002, right? So back then, this was a very aggressive beer. Now, today, it's just like, okay, you got a little pale ale on your hands, but, you know, just like hazies, right? Same thing. But anyway, I digress. Um, you know, we came out with that and people were blown away how much aroma and flavor that beer had with not a lot of bitterness. And uh, it was it was pretty fantastic because I go to my homebrew shop and he's like, you want to brew with rye? Like, I want to brew with rye. And just started, you know, brewing with rye. I've got some Munich in there, some pale, some Gambrinus honey malt. Um, you know, about 35 BUs and it's just a nice sipping pale ale, you know? So did you send a note to that homebrew shop after you won the gold medal with that rye? Yeah. I mean, literally it was, I don't even know if he was, yeah, he was still in business at the time. And it was funny because he was, he, he and I are still Facebook friends and stuff. So every once in a while, you know, we'll talk about beer and he's like, yeah, you're the crazy one who started brewing. This <laughs> you know, so, um, and there weren't many people brewing with rye. Like, you know, I, mean, I don't, I, I remember, so when I went to brewing school in 96, I remember 
Bear Republic, but I don't know if they had their Rye Bear out yet. I, I just, they, they may not have. I, mean, I don't remember. <laughs> so I'm not saying that we were the first to brew with Rye, but I know we were definitely one of the first breweries to brew with Rye, without a doubt. And I, I will also tell you that uh, Spike, you know, he has done a lot of collaborations around the world. And man, for years, he only had one request. The collaboration has to have Ryan. <laughs> oh, wow. it's still a thing man like i'll go to europe and uh you know we'll, we'll go back and forth and i'm like rye and I'm like by the way get some rye soles i always show it to the brewery they don't have any rye soles and the runoff is like three and a half hours like, rye soles i told you <laughs> so yeah it's it's fun to turn people on to, to brewing with rye i mean it's it's like brewing with quicksand but um <laughs> We, we were literally in Switzerland. Uh, we were like on a beer trip in Germany with uh, some folks from Athens. This guy, Owen Ogletree, always puts these beer education trips together. And okay. Spike's been going on them for 10 years plus. 12, like, yeah. 12. And so like we were in Germany running around and we were like, hey, we're going to extend this. We're going to jump into Switzerland. And uh, Jerome is a friend of ours who owns BFM in Switzerland. And... Uh, we were going to brew a beer with him there, this barley wine with rye in it. And uh, he said the same thing. And literally, I think that runoff took like 10 hours. <laughs> oh, we man. actually, I think we actually went on a hike yeah. on the lake uh, while it was running off. That's what was I mean, going this on. Guy, this guy is hilarious. Like he won a game show and I think he won enough money to open this brewery. <laughs> yeah. Probably. He, he like studied like barrel aging for wine and stuff. So he was like really smart on that end. And that's what he's really, really good at in the brewery. But we get over there and the guy is a complete character. So we're, the runoffs happening. He's like, okay, it's lunchtime. We go over <laughs> in the little brewery into the, this picnic table and they literally have cheese fondue. So fondue. I think the news, the news came in like we we're yeah. eating fondue. Was- <laughs> Brewing's a great gig. Yeah. <laughs> So, so just for comparison's sake, the runoff for that one over in Belgium or uh, Switzerland, I'm sorry, was ten hours. What is what does a normal non rye runoff usually usually take? Uh, we can usually run off in about an hour and a half. You know, hour hour and a half, depending. You know, so yeah, it's it's it gets a little precarious brewing with rye, but uh, always a good time. I'm going to jump way ahead here. We usually ask these questions at the very end, but we're talking about you drinking rye whiskey. What is your go-to rye whiskey? That's really a uh, inspiration for some of your beers. Do you have a favorite or do you like them all? Oh man. I mean, I, I make a lot of my cocktails with rye. My, my usual go-to cocktail rye is Rittenhouse rye. <laughs> yeah. um, because a hundred proof and, you know, I make Manhattans and old fashions and stuff, but yeah, I mean, you've got bullet rye. Woodford makes a nice rye. Actually, Wild Turkey makes a nice rye. So there's a bunch out there. I, I'm a huge fan of Templeton rye. Yeah, Templeton's really, really nice. Um, yeah, if, if if you can see my... Uh, I, I've got a huge bourbon collection back there behind me, but... Uh, we, we just... We see life, life-sized can, uh, glasses of beer behind you. Yes. There you go. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, I forgot. <laughs> it's actually a green screen. No way. Oh, you don't yeah. have you don't have giant glasses of beer behind you for real? <laughs> as far as you know. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, I um, you know, any kind of spirit, you know, obviously mashing, you know, 
scotch and, and Irish whiskey. And, you know, I would, I would say bourbon is probably my favorite, but um, yeah. And I, I drink a lot of rum too. Not that's made with, with malt, but uh, I, you know, sun goes down must be Brown for me. So that's a good model to live by. So does the, does the rye pale ale continue to be a top seller and like beating out all of the other Terrapin beers? Or I know at one point your Hopsecutioner had become your number one seller, right? Hopsecutioner is still by far the number one selling beer. Okay. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's a success story in itself. I mean, here we are 2021 where these, you know, these hazy beers have definitely dominated the craft brewing industry. And it's just like, this Hopsecutioner every year just goes up, up, up. And it's just like one of those old school filtered West Coast IPAs, dry hop with Cascade, bunch of Simcoe in there. And it's just a, you know, 7.3% alcohol, just, you know, the way, the way the IPA was, you know? Um, so I, I, I'm still tickled with that beer because it's still growing in sales even though all the hazies are out there. Sure. Yeah, it was this, that was a scary moment for us because originally, um, you know, we had come out with the cream ale, which later got renamed to the golden ale, um, pulled the, the uh, flaked maize out, right? Yep. But, the, you know, we came out with an India brown ale before we came out with an India pale ale. Um, and India That's brown true. ales also, like, there was an old brewery in Athens that used to make one and before they went out of business. And then there was a, brew pub that kept you know bringing that back and spike and i love that kind of style and it was always exciting to create an india brown ale that we uh called hop karma and but we were always so nervous to bring out an ipa even though that's like we'd sit around and we'd go to a pub or whatever and we would all like just try different ipas yeah. and we were nervous because we didn't want it to kill rye we were just so like right. standoffish and then <laughs> we were gonna come out with Hopsecutioner, and, and I'll let Spike tell the story of the, some of the, the name of that. But the we we're coming out with Hopsecutioner. Originally, it was going to be a one-off, twenty-two ounce bomber, just one-time IPA. And I remember we were sitting in our old conference room, and we had this whiteboard that we used to write. Like, I mean, we were really sophisticated. Right? Like, here's our lineup for next year on the whiteboard. Yep. And literally, that's where it lived. And so we were in there, and it was like in this special release category. And I remember we it must've been like an hour long meeting of us going back and forth of like, this should be a year round. It should be in six packs. Why do we care if it hurts another beer sales? If the beer is great, let it be great. Sure. And we finally made the decision to say, all right, we're going forward with Hopsecutioner. We're going to make it. So we'd started it off draft only. And that fall we went into distributor meetings and I remember walking into our distributor in Atlanta, sitting down in a one-on-one meeting with a guy who ran the beer division. It was like, listen, Hopsecutioner is going to be Terrapin's number one priority next year. And the guy literally almost kicked me out of his office. <laughs> He's like, you are crazy. What are you doing? Why are you doing IPA? And we had this whole, like we built this huge IPA education training for the distributor network. And this was 09 when this came out and we did this. And then, it, the, the brand just skyrocketed and started crushing it. And it was just, a, it was the right place. And I think to Spike's point, you know, at 7.3, sometimes people are like, oh, I don't know about that. But then other people are like, yeah, let me have that. You know, so it's kind of, you know, the best of both worlds in some cases, but like at a baseball stadium or any like, you know, Miller Park, you can get hopscutcher people when they leave their seat, they want the bang for the buck too. Mm-hmm. So it, 
was really good in stadiums and bigger venue, music venues, et cetera. But that brand has just continued to excel. And I, I just want to reiterate what Spike was saying, because like, you know, it's hard to, to get a flagship for a lot of brands. Sure. It's hard to get a, a, a number one selling beer. And a lot of people, you tell them Hops is our number one beer and they think we're crazy. They, they don't believe that. And, you know, our number two beer is Luau, Crunkles. And Luau has just been on a tear as well. And like, but with Hopsecutioner every single year, it just steady climbing and growth and it just doesn't stop. And I always think about that and just say like, you know, this is a foundation. This is stability for a brand to have. And then when you, we, we were talking about it because we're talking about our lineup for next year, you know, you start looking down the line, we, it's hard for us to cut a beer because we obviously we love them all, but like, we, sometimes you have to make these hard decisions and be like, well, we got to put something new in. But I just feel like we're fortunate to have such a stable lineup of beers that continue to perform year over year. We're not just chasing what's next every year. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it was pretty cool. And, and, you know, the, the whole story of hop executioner and, you know, as far as the name goes with that beer, I mean, it is the only beer that was ever named from someone outside the brewery oh. and uh i got a great friend who was this well he still is this awesome guy and he was a bartender in smyrna georgia where i was living and he was he probably lived about five minutes from my house and every sunday in the summer it was open house at his pool like during the week he had a call or whatever but sunday everybody was invited over to Johnny Dollar's house to go swimming and eat and hang out and party. So it was early on on a Sunday and Johnny and I are floating around on some inner tubes in his pool, smoking cigars and other things we shouldn't have been smoking at. The time. <laughs> we Johnny talk. wasn't a big IPA guy. And I'm like, Johnny, we're going to come up with an IPA. And he's like, you know, Spike, he goes, I don't like IPAs, but I tell you what, he goes, you come out with an IPA. And you name it the Hopsecutioner. <laughs> like, all right, Johnny. And he goes, I, I don't want any royalties or nothing like that. But I tell you what, on that packaging, I want to see a little dollar sign on that package. I'm like, okay. So, you know, we're in bottles at the time. I got a case of bottles. I rolled it into his where he was working at the time at Soho. And I pop that case of beer up on the table and he looks at it and he goes, Oh, you made a new beer. Totally forgot about the whole thing. I'm like, <laughs> I said, you remember? He goes, Oh yeah. The hop executioner. He goes, I said, yeah. And I said, what'd you want? And on the side, and you can see on your can that you're holding there, um, it has a little dollar sign. So every package uh, can and, um, and little six pack, has a little dollar sign for Johnny Dollar. Cool little fun fact about Hops Kuechner. <laughs> so back to the can of the Rye Pale Ale now. You said it uh, resembles Jerry Garcia, Grateful Dead. Yeah. Uh, what? what why did you go with the Grateful Dead for particularly this beer and particularly why that band? Well, did it have anything to do with what you were smoking in Johnny Dollar's pool or what? <laughs> no, the dead was way before Johnny Dollar. So I used to I used to follow the dead from like 1985 until Jerry passed. Um, and, you know, 
when when John and I were trying to think of names, um, you know, I just came up with Terrapin because Terrapin Station is one of my favorite albums and just, you know, love the dead. And um, we didn't really, you know, we were draft only, right? So we didn't need any artwork. And then we started, you know, talking to some artists and saying, yeah, we're Terrapin Beer Company. And they would just make this generic turtle. And there was just really nothing that really resonated with us. So it was like the third or fourth year of Bonnaroo up in Manchester, Tennessee. And I'm, and I'm walking around, cruising around Shakedown and looking at all the booths. And I happened to wander out to this one, one booth and I'm just thumbing through this art. And I'm just like, I got that dead poster. I got that dead album. I got that, this, that, and the other. I'm like, man, I'm like, who's this artist? And there was a guy in the back of the booth just like drawing something or whatever. And I kind of looked at him. He kind of looked up and I said, hey, man, um, do you think you can draw for, you know, for beer packaging? Uh, some stupid question like that. Like, uh, <laughs> you make a beer label, dude. <laughs> She's like, nah, man, I don't, I don't do that. I'm like, oh, all right. And then he goes, what's the name of the beer? I said, Terrapin. And it was game on. So- <laughs> That's the day I met Richard Biffle. And um, it was kind of funny because back in the day, you know, that was obviously our first one we ever did, uh, the Rye Pale Ale with the Jerry glasses and all that. And it, it was almost, it's you know, when you get a piece of art from your artist, it's almost like, you know, Christmas morning. You know, John and I would sit around the computer and then we would put our hands over the computer and hit, you know, hit go. And it would pop up and then we would look at the art. So we've got two fantastic artists. Um, you know, Richard is the guy who does all of our turtles. And then we've got Chris Pinkerton. He's an illustrator, artist, um, graphic designer who kind of puts all our packaging together. So anything without a turtle is is Chris. But these guys used to work together at Liquid Blue and, you know, they're good friends. So we've got a great art team. So it, you know, speaking of the cans, I believe Terrapin was the first brewery in Georgia to actually offer cans, right? Yeah. And are, are most of your beers available in cans or is it kind of a mix of cans, bottles, uh, draft? What does that look like? No, the only thing you can get in bottles now is still hop executioner. Okay. Six packs. But that is slowly getting phased out. Okay. Uh, it will be 100% cans. Um, cans, half barrels and six barrels. Um, and we do 12-ounce and 16-ounce cans. But um, we we done we used to do our So Fresh and So Green Green, our fresh hop beer. We did it in 19 twos one year. And okay. That was a little dangerous. <laughs> um, we always had this hop harvest festival at the brewery when we released this beer. We'd always use a different fresh hop, fly it in. It was the most expensive beer I think we always made. And then we put it in 19 two cans and no one really remembers that hop harvest very well. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. When you're running around drinking 19 twos and like a almost 8% fresh hop beer. Yeah. It was major. Yeah, makes <laughs> for a good day. Yeah. But I mean, for us, yeah. I mean, I think the cans have been a great change up. I mean, sure. you know, back to the, the uh, long meetings in, in our old conference room, I mean, we were just battling like, Hey, we needed a new bobbing line. Mm-hmm. And then we just, you know, we're like, I think we should put a can line in. And this yeah. was, those conversations started in 2011 for us. And then we ended up bringing out recreation ale um, as a session IPA. And we, we, we actually, contracted that at a different brewery to test the cans. Mm-hmm. So we brought, we, we, we did cans with them, brought it in and we were like, Hey, this is rolling. We also released it in a re- really weird way. <laughs> no draft, 
no six packs, only 12 packs. Another thing that our distributor yelled at us for. <laughs> what are you doing? And it worked. And we were like, you know, back that we started the whole project of getting the can line up and running. And then I think we installed the can line in 2012. I think it was yeah. 12, 13. We put it in and then, uh, I should know that, but I don't. <laughs> 2013 is when the recreation ale uh, yeah. released for, and cans was the first time. Yeah. yeah. So then we, so we were, we were talking to this in 12 then. Okay. And then in 13 had that and we ordered the can line in 13. Okay. So yeah. But, and then, and then it was like a, we had this really awesome can line, but we were still running the crap out of the bottling line because we didn't transition everything fast enough and putting our artwork onto cans was a complete nightmare for ball can. Like it was, they struggled so much and our artists continue to push them for can printing. They hated running our cans. Yeah. Cause it was so detailed. Yeah. Oh, sure. But yeah, nowadays like almost everything's in can for us and you know, still a big part of like our care print initiative and a lot of our sustainability stuff. Um, just, you know, I think we've, we've teamed up with some folks here in Athens recently that we're starting to learn a ton about uh, different things with waste management. Mm-hmm. Um, they're experts in their field backed by National Geographic, this unbelievable work for the University of Georgia. Uh, they have Mar- Marine Debris Tracker is one of the uh, uh, apps that they work with. And then uh, Can I Recycle This? And so we're starting this partnership with them and one of the, the best things I think that I've, I've learned and it's just small thing is like as a business, every single business out there needs to step back and look and answer like three main questions. What do we take? What do we make? And then what do we waste? Mm-hmm. And so when you think about those three things and you make conscious decisions on the front end of what are we taking to then whatever we make and then what does the waste look like? That first question, if you answer it in a, the best way possible to, to alleviate the waste of the back end, it's huge. And aluminum is infinitely recyclable. And it, it, it is in all of our packaging. We just audited this in all of our footprint where we sell beer. We're 100 percent recyclable, recyclable packaging. Some places don't recycle glass bottles, but for mm-hmm. the cans, we're 100 percent. And with the cardboard, we're 100 percent. And so that's a big part of that. You know, what are we taking when we look at this long term? And then as we continue to grow, even the vendors that we're starting to work with, who are we buying, um, you know, cardboard from, where are they getting that cardboard from? So all that, the layers that go down in that is pretty cool. So um, we're, we're stoked to have cans in and we're have way outgrown that can line. I mean, we run a 24 seven, three shifts. It does like 200, 220 cans a minute and it's just not enough. So we're, actively in the process of trying to put a new can line in, build a new building there. Uh, yep. Probably going to go to like a 450 to 600 can a minute line, wow. um, depending and just super fast. Like we'll be able to package like at least 600 barrels in a shift, uh, which would be huge. Really busting <laughs> out some beer there. Yeah. That's, that's a lot of beer. It's a lot of beer. I mean, I, we started doing all the math and like out positioning and all this stuff and like, <laughs> There's a lot. Like it's a lot of people, to move sure. quick, yeah. And so that that um, environmental focus is what what makes up your sustainability um, initiative, uh, which is called TerraPrint, right? Yeah. So the TerraPrint is a big. You know, the idea is like, what are we what are we leaving behind? Was our fingerprint? Was our imprint going to look like? And as we built it, you know, the the, the big emphasis is, you know, how do we uh, minimize our impact on the environment? while maximizing our impact on communities. 
for sure. So it's kind of a two front thing. It's, it's sustainability and environmental piece, but then it's also community driven as well. And, you know, the environmental piece, we kind of kicked this off and we put solar on the roof um, uh, in 2019, um, put 720 panels on the roof, generates about 30, 35% of our total um, electrical needs at the brewery, which our brew house takes up about 30% of our power of the brewery. So we like to say we have solar brewed beer. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But uh, we kind of kicked Terraprint off with that because we've been doing a lot of stuff for years. I mean, we've got a wastewater pretreatment facility at the brewery, which is not the sexiest thing to talk about. Right? <laughs> what, is, what does that even mean? Right. Yeah. So we're doing a lot of great things with that. Where a lot of the waste and solids that come out of that, we work with the city to compost in an industrial compost situation to bring, you know, basically turn our waste into dirt and bring it back to the brewery. Um, and then the solar was how we kind of kicked it off because solar sexy is understandable and everyone knows what solar is, even if you don't exactly know how it works, you know what it is. And so for us, we utilize that as kind of a kicking off platform. And then uh, we built TerraPrint as a brand in itself, kind of. And <laughs> everyone at the brewery makes fun of me for this, but, I, you know, like I always say, like, we, we needed to change our vocabulary to change our behavior. So we needed to create vocabulary that everyone could use. It's uniform to talk about all these initiatives that we're doing, because I think inherently most people want to do the right thing and they want to, they want sustainability. They want to know more about it. They want to be able to talk, but they're nervous to talk about it because they don't want to say the wrong thing in front of somebody that maybe is an expert in that field. So we just tried to create TerraPrint as uh, something that we could talk about with other, with customers, with individuals. And, you know, as beers and beverage, it brings people together we, if we can utilize this to then have a conversation about something bigger than beer, then as a brand, we're doing something pretty badass. And yeah, that's no doubt. truly what it's all about. That's a really cool way to look at that. So even if it isn't the most sexy topic, uh, what does it what does it mean to have your your own pre treatment uh, pre water the water pre treatment facility, and how is, how is that an advantage for you guys? It's expensive. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it smells really good. <laughs> I'd say, yeah, it doesn't always smell very good. Um, it, it is, uh, you know, it takes the load off the city. So everything that's going into our drain, we're pre-treating it. Uh, and all of that, all of that water that then gets sent back to them is pre-treated. So the levels okay. are spiking yeah. ridiculous yeah. for the city. So it's a, it's a crazy endeavor. I, I don't know how much we spent on this thing. It's over two million. Yeah. It's over two million. Like it's insane. But it's it's also kind of you know part of our core values is do the right thing always, and like it truly is the right thing to do. And 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 I will say this: like with all the breweries in the country now, we're over eight thousand something. Mm-hmm. I don't even know the number now. This is going to be a massive topic for municipalities across the country. Is all of the breweries that are just here's hop sludge, yeast, whatever, just dumping it into the drain. And then what's happening to the city's water, right? Yeah. So like, it's going to be a bigger topic. Uh, it is tough to do. We spend a lot of time on it. We spend a lot of money on it, but it definitely, you know, it definitely is the right thing to do long-term um, as well at the brewery. So, we're, you know, we love having it. It's part of like our water initiative too. Like we're trying to make sure that, you know, water is a huge part of beer and we want to make sure that we're doing the right thing for our town and 
our community as well. So, you know, we've, we've talked to quite a few breweries and the conversation always comes up about, you know, how, how are you particular brewery giving back to your community? And we've always heard, you know, we give dollars to, you know, the youth sports programs or the hospitality industry or the whatever, which is all fantastic. This is the most unique response we've gotten to be, to being a part of a community. It's not just giving money back into the community, but it's being thoughtful about how you're affecting your community in a positive way. And that positive way is not even something that is seen or even really like the hot topic, you know, I mean, it's a hot topic, you know, in environmental, but it's, it's definitely unique. So well done on that. It's, it's cool to hear about. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. I think I truly think it's, it's, it's super important the way we've gone about that. And I think we've, we've been terrible about patting ourselves on the back. And we literally like where tear print like was born was we had this uh, girl who started this uh, compost company in Athens called Let Us Compost. We, we were out at dinner. No, we were having drinks at that bar. Like after yeah, dinner. In normal like, town. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, Hey, if you want to talk about compost, uh, go see Kristen in the corner and she'll buy you a beer. If you talk about compost. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, so Jack who runs our operations was like, compost so he's already over there. he didn't <laughs> care about the free beer he was just wanted to talk compost and she's like you have a wastewater pre-treatment facility at terrapin hmm. so they came over and did a tour and like christian foster who's now with deeds creative who does our website and some other stuff he was there and he was like you guys are doing so much shit and you're not telling anybody <laughs> about it and, oh. and we're all just like yeah sometimes we're bad at them and so <laughs> Uh, that's kind of like how we, you know, started to steamroll TerraPrint and make it a thing to be able to talk about this. And, and it leads to conversations just like this, right? Like, you know, we feel like long-term people and consumers of any product give a shit about what that company's doing. For sure. And if you're a company that's not looking in the mirror and trying to make conscious decisions, people are going to move right past you. Yeah. And I think it's twofold. One, that's like, you got to be doing that, but it's also the right thing to do. Yeah, You know, so I think we're, it, it's pretty exciting to have that. And like, you know, from a community aspect, you know, we're doing uh, another big initiative is uh, working with some of these food banks and, um, you know, different cities. So in Athens, once a month, we have a food, a food, mobile food pantry. People can drive up. They just drive up in line. They get a box that feeds a family of four for like a week. Oh. And it is a ton of food that you get. I mean, I was packing one of the boxes. I'm like, they get three blocks of, or no, it was five giant blocks of Swiss cheese. I'm like, who needs all this? Hey, you're talking to guys from Wisconsin. We fully understand yeah. the need for a lot of <laughs> oh, cheese. Wait a yeah, you're right. <laughs> so, but speaking of Wisconsin, so we started it in Athens and the other place we've been doing it is Milwaukee. Awesome. So we've been having a mobile food pantry in Milwaukee. Um, I think we've had three of them so far up there. And it's ter- and Terrapin branded up there? Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So uh, we work with our distributor beer capital and they come out and they help do it. And they're, you know, everyone, like some of the guys at the distributor are, are joking. They're like, check it off the list. I had a beer at a mobile food pantry. And that was <laughs> yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, and our goal next year is we turn 20 years old next year um, is to have 20 cities participating in mobile food pantries for Terrapin and we have a goal of donating 3 million pounds of food next year. Very cool. 
to communities across our footprint. So it's a really cool initiative of giving back and connecting, but also like getting to work with our distributors and showcasing that community effort because, you know, everybody walks into places all the time, like what beer do you have that's local? But they don't ever talk about like, what beer do you have that's socially conscious? Right? <laughs> or like, environmentally focused like but maybe that's the next well, thing they're starting out yeah you, you're talking about changing the vocabulary so that you change your ways so you start that trend of there's breweries that are doing this and maybe consumers aren't even aware that breweries are doing this therefore they don't care about it but once they realize that there's breweries doing it then they'll start to care about it and then they'll start to ask for it so it's a whole full you know chicken yeah. egg thing so i agree and i will say like you know spike just talking about like where we came from like the, the, you know the years where it was lean and Newcastle was on tap. <laughs> I will say that, you know, we had some great brewery friends that just, you know, people in the industry that the Sierra Nevadas of the world and the Belgians of the world, the Lagunitas of the world that were true, like old school craft pioneers that we learned so much from and inherited a lot of the ways of working that they had. And I think mm-hmm. There is, I don't want to say it's a divide, but you, when we go into a place, you can tell if they have like the old school craft mentality or it's like new school. You can tell right away. For sure. Yeah. Um, and it's been, it's kind of cool to see that change, but it's also like, I just love the roots that we have as a group. Uh, well, that's awesome. Yeah. Props to you guys. That That's, that's awesome to hear of all those initiatives you're doing and uh, super cool for us to be in, in, in Wisconsin to hear that, that, that social impact is, is even hitting Wisconsin with you guys being in Georgia. I think that's cheers worthy, which means it's time to pour another round. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers to our sponsors. Tavor makes it easy to access and discover the highest rated craft beers from all over the world right through their mobile app. Get the best in craft beer delivered to your doorstep from over 650 breweries in 47 different states. All you have to do is download the Tavor app from your phone's app store. And if you enter the promo code POUR, that's P-O-U-R, at sign up, you will receive $10 in credit after spending $25 on the app. And with all the good beer, that's pretty easy to do. Beer lovers can build their own custom beer box or subscribe to have the top-rated beers automatically shipped to you. So fill your beer fridge with unique hard-to-find craft beers from independent craft breweries by downloading the Tavor app. That's Tavor. T-A-V-O-U-R. And be sure to enter the promo code POUR, like pour another round, at sign up and before placing your first beer in the crate. What uh, would you like us to pop open? Uh, we've got the Hopsecutioner. We've talked about that. Um, if you want us to, to open up that one. Otherwise, we do have uh, the Cryosphere, the Luau, and the Recreation Ale in front of us as well. I mean, I, uh, Spike, you could go. I think Luau being our number two brand. This one was the most intriguing to me when I unboxed it this morning. Luau. Yeah, Luau. I mean, it was crazy because, you know, we... we- wanted to come out with a fruited IPA. I started poking around and looking at this and that. And, um, you know, I remember when I was in Hawaii back in the nineties, they had this pod juice. I'm like, well, that would be kind of cool. And I, and I actually contacted one of the pod juice companies 
And it was some dude that worked there was either from Athens or went to UGA or had some connection. But the crazy part was like, they were only going to sell it into like one gallon jugs where, where I needed so much more. They, I'm like, you guys don't have drums of this stuff and all that. So, you know, I had to do my own blend um, with flavors, but um, yeah, the Luau, it was crazy because we've got this whole Crunkles series of beers and all of the Crunkles beers have different flavors in them. Uh, our, our newest release is, uh, um, it's a pina colada IPA, uh, Caribbean crunkles. You know, he's been samurai crunkles, you know, luau, of course. What else does Indiana crunkles? Yeah. I don't know how we didn't get sued for that one. Indiana crunkles, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it literally had, like, this guy, like, taking a hop thing off, like, Indiana Jones. is pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. So the whole folklore with crunkles is he's, he's, the, he's the most famous IPA brewer that's ever lived. The problem is we're always one step behind him. So we have scouts going out looking for this guy and he's like Bigfoot. We're always one step behind, but he always leaves these little clues or recipes where we take it and, and brew his beers. Is this a mythological person or a real person? As far as you know. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> the Luau's are our, um, our, our second beer in the lineup as far as sales goes. And you know, it's just a so- another solid IPA that we do with some beautiful fruit background flavors in there that just kind of play well together in that IPA style. You know, yeah, we were uh, about the crumbles thing though. We, you know, it was one GABF, and it, I think it was uh, me, Spike, and my wife were out there, and you know, day three GABF, nothing's good. <laughs> and you know, because we always go out a day earlier or whatever, we're going to see a couple breweries. And so then all of a sudden, everything Spike said, it was crunk. It was just, this is crunk, and that's crunk. And it just, like, I don't know what happened. And it just kept going. And then somehow it turned into Captain Crunk, and then Captain Crunkles. And then all of a sudden, we were like, let's make a beer called Captain yeah. Crunkles. And you, have, and you do have a beer called Captain Crunkles. Yeah. And then the fun part about it, too, was is that when we did all of that, it was like, that was when, like, Dogfish Head was like, coming out with like, oh, we found this recipe in an ancient tomb in Egypt right. and we made the beer. And we're like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> okay. so we're like, well, we found this recipe in a bottle and it was signed Captain Crunkles and here we go. <laughs> it, it, was, it was a message in the bottle um, and it had a recipe for a black IPA and it was signed Captain Crunkles and it was game on after that. That's awesome. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty fun. But th- those those beers have been a ton of fun, and then it's been a an evolution where it was they were in twenty two ounce bottles first, um, okay. one off releases yeah. as part of our side project series uh, that we started in 08. and then you know we eventually said let's put it in the variety pack as you know you can only get it in the variety pack because we came out with the IPA survival kit and that was the first all IPA can variety pack in the U.S. And when the IPA survival kit came out, it was, we started rotating the crunkles. And I think Luau was the first one, wasn't it? Crunkles down under, it was all Australia, New Zealand. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And then we did Luau and it just, I mean, people went crazy for the beer and um, we just had so many requests. And then we finally like, all right, let's just put it in six packs and see what happens. And that beer continues to just climb and climb and climb. And I think it's just, it's, 
what I love about it, and this is something that Spike's really good at, is like when he builds a recipe, like a, that is a fruited IPA, but it's still an IPA. Like there's still some bitterness in there. There's still, it's still a good IPA. And like all the brewers all the time would be like, before any of the fruit additions go in, like the straight up Crunkles IPA, we would drink that off the tank and be like, holy shit, this beer is good. <laughs> so then we eventually came out with Mr. Crunkles, which is just a mustache on a can. And that's just the base yeah. IPA, which is awesome too. So then we eventually said, all right, you know what we're going to do? We're going to come out with Crunkles own variety packs. And then we have the, the, the Crunkles IPA travel trunk. Right. And it's just all Crunkles beers with Lou Alice kind of the, the anchor for it. Well, I think the uh, the first impression of this beer, like while I'm drink while I'm drinking it, yes, it it has that IPA taste and just that subtleness of the fruit. But when I cracked the can, it was just like a a, a cloud of of that passion fruit and orange aroma. It was yeah. that was very potent, but in a very welcome way. It wasn't. It's not that sweet candy kind of fruit. It's very very natural. You know. Uh- I, I think anything you add to a beer, and I, and I know this really goes out the window, especially with a lot of, you know, we were talking about earlier with Skittles and Twinkies, <laughs> Ding Dongs, whatever else they're throwing in beers. But to me, at the end of the day, we're making beer. And I think anything you add to it should complement the beer, not dominate the beer. And that's just how I've always brewed and probably will continue to do so because I like beer. You know, I think the, the, the Pog IPA, the Passion Fruit Orange Guava, like I just think that's also such a good combination for an IPA to have. And I think it's unique because not a lot of people are doing something like that. I mean, it was a spike worked hard, like you said, trying to buy gallon jugs of that shit from Hawaii or like <laughs> figure it out. But like, you know, that was a tough beer to kind of for him to get put together because it was a challenge. It wasn't like a here it is. One, two, three, here's how we're going to make this beer. It's easy, right? Based on how the brewery was founded, why would it be easy to make a different beer? You got to scrap your way and fight. Together, and then it was like, boom, there's Lou. And and truth be told, if you're, oh, this is a pineapple IPA, or this is an orange IPA, or this is a tangerine, people know what those fruits are. Like, Mm -hmm. half the people, especially in the Southeast at the time, they don't know what a pot, what the hell is pod? So yeah. you really had to educate them on what flavors were in there, you know, mm-hmm. and give them the, the backstory of the pod juice. And another exciting fact about that beer is that labels in 3d. So if you get 3d glasses out, really? it's in 3d you or if you drink 12 of them, it's in 3d. <laughs> Depends how you go. Uh, do you have any of your variety packs come with 3d glasses? No, we haven't done that ever. We've had them at like events, yeah. like at bars and stuff. Like because I think Mosaic was the first one that was. Yes, yeah, so Chris Pinkerton did that artwork, and so that's it's an uh, it's called a mandala pattern. And so Chris actually has, well, last time he told me, he said he had seven of the top ten selling tapestries on Amazon because he still does work for like the Bob Marley family, Led Zeppelin, oh. uh, Pink Floyd, oh. The Dead. Um, so he just still does a lot of like really cool tapestry work as well. So huh. I think all of those spikes that are in the, that mandala are actually 3D. Mm, okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go raid my five-year-old son's toy room. Yeah. And some 3D glasses. <laughs> some 3D glasses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that, I mean, I, I still think, you know, we're, we're launching into Puerto Rico here. Um, oh, cool. And, you know, we're leading with Luau there. Yeah. It's very, so it's, it's very Caribbean. Uh, it's just tropical. Tropical. Tropical is what I was looking for. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a, it it uh, it makes me want to be sitting on a on a warm beach right now. Oh, yeah. Preferably in Hawaii, actually. So this is this sounds fantastic. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so you 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 mentioned you're trying to get into Puerto Rico and some of your other footprints where you want to get some of these uh, food these mobile food banks out there. What does your distribution footprint look like, and where can Terrapin be found across the country, or is it global now? What are you guys up to? I'd love to be global. I know Spike would. Uh, no, we're in we're in 22 states. Uh, mainly all East Coast. Um, Wisconsin is one of our furthest markets. We appreciate that. Yeah. Yes. Jersey, PA. Uh, you know, we, I want you to know we skipped Illinois. I'm, um, I'm from Illinois originally. That's fine. You can skip Illinois. We did. We're, I'm just saying it because you're in Wisconsin. Um, <laughs> Cameron is a Bears fan. We. Yeah. He's from hey, Chicago. Hey, you got yeah, Justin Fields. He played. He's from Georgia. He played. He's gonna be great. I I honestly think that guy could be great. Uh, he will be great. I think and he will. Green Bay doesn't even have a quarterback right now, so we're yeah. fine. Ah. It's a Green Bay is a mess right now. <laughs> but they, so, uh, you know, mainly East Coast. Um, you know, and Wisconsin being uh, one of the furthest markets. Um, I think Wisconsin right now is our number five state overall. In volume. Awesome. And we're not even in grocery there. <laughs> but you're in quick trips, and there's a lot of those. And you know what? We're the number <laughs> four craft brand in all of Quick Trip. There you go. So I think it's like, it's... Uh, it's probably New Glarus. Yeah, Kugel. right. It's uh, Line and Kugel. It's, is it C4? Carbon, Carbon 4. four. Yep. Carbon yep. 4. And then Terrapin. That's not a bad. That's not a bad uh, number four spot to be in Wisconsin. Right? Uh, no, I mean that Quick Trip's been amazing, and you know, like we've got. You know, it was supposed to open last year, but in Miller Park, there's a Terrapin Container Bar there now. So when oh, you're great. at the park, you can see a uh, really cool Terrapin Bar. And, and you know, we first launched uh, in Wisconsin. The first time you ever buy Terrapin was at the Riverside Theater. Oh, fantastic! Uh, during the widespread panic run. In uh, what was that, 2017? 17, I mean, or 16 or 17, but I think it was 17. And widespread panic from Athens, Georgia. So it was like the perfect way to do it music, beer. And uh, it was it was just such a cool experience because they shut down the street in front of the riverside. And it is yeah. a full beer garden out there with food trucks. And then, you know, at intermission, everybody comes outside and, you know, grabbing beers. And so we had all these terrapin beers out there. And it was just, such a cool experience and we've done it every year that they've come back up there and the obviously they didn't play last year they are playing this year i think they're doing four or five nights there this year but last time in 2019 every night there was a different uh terrapin ice sculpture with widespread panic stuff on it like it was so cool well so you have your your mobile food bank up here in milwaukee you have miller park connections what's your actual connection to milwaukee and why did you pick of all the places outside of Athens and Atlanta area, Milwaukee seems to be a, a pretty popular place for Terrapin. I, you know, I think that I don't, I, Wisconsin was like, I've always loved Wisconsin when I've visited, like I, and I've only visited mainly in the summer. I want you to know that too. Um, <laughs> Come back in the winter. Un- it'll be fine. <laughs> I've been there in the winter, but like I, Milwaukee's like, it, I really love the town. It's got such a, um, it's got good energy and it's like the right size city right now. I feel like, and it just, I don't know. Like, I don't think we've always really enjoyed uh, being up there. I think that there's in, in the, the beer history of Milwaukee and the beer history of just Wisconsin in general, like if there's a state in this country that is like 
just so heavy in Colorado. Good on beer. Yeah. I mean, like, it's yeah. it's pretty we amazing. like our beer up here. Mm-hmm. You just drink a shitload of beer up there. Yeah. <laughs> we are proud of it. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the time that I do claim to be from Wisconsin and not Illinois is when beer gets involved. In there the you go. Yeah, nice. <laughs> we, we were up there one time, and we were at uh, – uh, one of the bars over near the uh, basketball stadium, and um, maybe it wasn't Buck Bradley's because I've been in Buck Bradley's a bunch, but there was another bar right there. We walked in, there was a there was a bunch of guys drinking like White Claws at a table, and we're like, this ain't gonna work. So we went to the you, bar. You guys aren't from around here. Are yeah, you? We went to the bar and got a round of terrapins and put it on the table. And we're like, here you guys go. <laughs> Enjoy. Changed their lives. Oh, for yeah. sure. <laughs> Like, is this one black cherry? No, this one's yeah. like yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's here. Step it up. Yeah. Huh. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, we're um very excited to have you up here in Wisconsin, and um, you go kind of on the southern part of the U.S. You go as far as Louisiana, so you're you've got a, a good chunk of of the continental United States, um, the eastern chunk, you know, essentially covered, um. But you, so you have your brewery in Athens, um, but then you also have um, have a location in Atlanta. Uh, tell us about that location and how the two two uh, locations differ from each other. Yeah, I think uh, I'll let Spike really hammer this because this brings his uh, story a little more full circle. But uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, we we've been in. Is is it the fifth year, Dustin, or fourth? It was twenty seventeen. Whatever math. 20, for that. 2020 doesn't count. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, we climbed into, you know, the, the Braves, that was the first year that the Braves did, it was SunTrust Park at the time. And, you know, just having brewery inside the park has is, is been fantastic. I mean, you know, you have 40,000 fans, you know, walking to the brewery and we have a huge grain silo out there and great branding and we're teamed up with Fox Brothers Barbecue, which probably makes the best barbecue in Atlanta. And, and it's just been a, a fantastic experience for us. You know, we can put out a bunch of different beers down there. It's a little five barrel system. So we do a lot of pilot batching, a, little, a lot of uh, experimentation. Um, so it's been just a godsend for us because, you know, even to this day, I mean, you know, the brewery in Athens doesn't even have a pilot brewery. Uh, we've never used one. I mean, we just go, I mean, this is what we want to make and we go now. It's kind of nice to have that little crutch where, you know, it's a lot easier to justify making a batch of beer that may or may not be so good. And it's only five barrels instead of going, Hey, Dustin, I screwed up that hundred barrel batch of beer. (laughs) Can't sell that one. Um, so yeah, it's been fantastic. The Braves organization has been fantastic and it's a really cool concept you know, it, it's called the battery. So around the stadium, there's bars and restaurants and this big open area. And it's just a music venues there as well. So it's a it's a pretty fantastic park. Yeah, and it's all open container. So you yep. can get used to go. You can walk around. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, you know, little beer stands all over the place, which is great. And, you know, it, it really gives uh, Terrapin an opportunity to pilot beers. So like, you know, High and Hazy, Los Bravos. We're piloted down there and came out of that. Um, when we redid Recreation Ale to make that uh, a locale IPA, uh, spelled local, if you notice on the uh, can. That's right. That way. When somebody says, what local IPA do you have? We say, we have local IPA. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but it's, 
it's also an, an opportunity to collaborate with other breweries, but also collaborate with other community organizations like the River Keepers in Atlanta, um, music groups. I mean, we did a beer with Jack Black. Yeah. Uh, wow, that's awesome. Yes. Yeah, that's super cool. cool. Apocalypto. Yeah, Apocalypto. And, and uh, <laughs> Spike, are you are you big into music or like who where's the music? Yeah. Just just a fan or do you play or what's what's the uh, relationship with music? I, I play drums a little bit. You know, did, I did a lot of that in, in high school and stuff. But uh, yeah, uh, there is I'm looking at a bunch of vinyl. I've I've I have a, a very um, I have a problem with stereo equipment. <laughs> building my stereo. Yeah, I've been building this thing for about eight years. So every year I kind of buy myself something new and upgrade for my birthday. So yeah, I'm pretty embarrassed to even tell you what that thing's worth, but it's fantastic. <laughs> it sounds great. So so yeah, I've been I've been into music um really my whole life. It was funny. You know, I'm Bukowski, I'm a nice Irish kid, but um so you know, growing up being Polish, um, you know, we'd go to a lot of outdoor festivals with actually pretty talented musicians. So I was the little kid in like fourth and fifth grade to bring in Polish music and teach people how to dance and stuff and appreciate music. And just my dad, had, he was kind of an audiophile and had a really nice stereo. And then, you know, following the Grateful Dead around. I mean, my, my first concert, I was in, gosh, seventh grade. I don't know, it was 1978. I saw Judas Priest open up for Kiss. In 78. So, yeah, I've seen probably over 3,000 live shows easily. Wow. Love and appreciate music. Yeah. And are, are you from the Atlanta area originally? No, I'm from Connecticut. That's what I mean. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Spike is a, we, we refer to him as America's guest. He literally will walk up to a show and just get in for free. And I don't know. Of course. There's all, you always know one of those people just, that do that. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. They've got a lot of those stories, man. Miracle tickets. Um, Sneaking in the back door, going in with the road crew. I mean, whatever it takes. <laughs> he literally is wow. a Steelers fan. And we went to a Steelers game. And we ended up having, like, our distributor has some ownership ties. And so we, we got field passes to go on the field. And then we go back up to the seats. and But Spike's still on the field. And he's got a hold of the American flag. And he's out there with all the military people. <laughs> waving the flag up and down. And we're like... How did he get? He just walked up and just grabbed the flag. It's like military, military, spike, military, military. That's that's a little fit. It was actually the terrible towel. So it was a terrible, <laughs> terrible towel. It was a terrible towel. So we're walking down the sidelines, and I kind of hung back because I saw this group of people with all these yellow shirts on, like hanging over there. So they kind of went away, and like I'm, I'm in this group of people with yellow shirts. And then the guy, you know, who coordinates the whole thing comes over and he goes, okay, this is what's going to happen. We're going to take the terrible towel. It's about 20 yards by 30 yards. We're going to bring it out there. We're going to shake it, blah, blah, blah. So me, I'm not in a yellow shirt. I'm in a black jacket. I'm (laughs) sitting out there like a sore thumb with this black jacket going. (laughs) As the the team is running by, it was, it was pretty fantastic. (laughs) That's awesome. It was dumb. Yeah. <laughs> Only live once. That's yeah. exactly always going to be in the right place at the right time. Yep. Well, awesome. Uh, I think our last question for you guys, and and I already made you you answer this earlier, Spike. But if you want to elaborate more, or we can uh, turn this right over to Dustin, is if you're not drinking Terrapin beer, 
what do you find yourself drinking? So I'll let Dustin take this one away first. Uh, I've been on a massive gin kick. Gin. We haven't we haven't had too many gin answers, and I know mm-hmm. not much about gin, so please elaborate. Uh, <laughs> I I uh, really got into gin um, when the pandemic kind of hit, and it was like I love wine. I'm in a couple different wine clubs. Um, mm-hmm. I like big red Zinfandels. I like the big. 15% jammy, spicy Zinfandels. That's like my favorite kind of wine. And, but it was like, I was drinking wine. I love bourbon and everything else. But then it was like, I just had never dove into gin a lot. And then um, as it was getting a little warm here last year, I was like, just started getting into gin. And I don't like drinking gin and tonic. Like I'll drink a gin and tonic, but I can't drink it. The tonic's too sweet. So I just drink it with just carbonated water. And I'm, I've tried a ton of different gins, but like it, it, everything goes back to Hendrix for me. Hendrix is just of course. my go-to gin. And, uh, so I, I really have been on a big gin kick and Spike's had a ton of different gins. I know we were talking about yeah. a lot, the ones that I've been drinking um, this year, but there's one that is made with gunpowder tea. This Japanese tea that is a really awesome gin um, that I've enjoyed too. But um, overall, like it's just, everything goes back to Hendrix for me. Yeah. I mean, for me, you know, don't get me wrong. I love beer and, and probably drink beer every day. Um, you know, if I'm going to have a beer at home, it's, you know, I'm a crispy boy. So it's, you know, uh, nine times out of 10, it'll be a Pilsner or Kell or a Bitburger, you know, just because one of my fondest memories, and it would definitely be my Desert Island beer, but we were in the basement of Pilsner or Kell in the Czech Republic, drinking the unfiltered Pilsner off the, the wooden barrels. And it was just, it was just divine. That, that would make anyone a fan, I'm pretty sure. Oh, it's just so fantastic. <laughs> but um, I'm a huge bourbon fan, but, you know, I find myself every – so I like to try new things, but I've been finding myself uh, drinking a lot of rum. Um, so I've got a nice little rum collection going that I kind of sip on some rum every night. But, uh, yeah, I'm I, you know, I, I'm, I, I'll take it in stride. I, I, I'm not – you know, I'll take anything, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever works you know but uh i do like an old-fashioned or manhattan or boulevardier and the gronies um yeah i like it all uh anyone that uh mentions being a bourbon fan i always like to give a a, a plug for um jay henry bourbon mm-hmm. um from dane wisconsin they're literally 10 minutes down the road from my house okay really, cool. really good good bourbon nice and they've been they've been doing awesome things and beating out Kentucky bourbons and uh, winning all tons of awards too. So Sweet. Jay Henry Bourbon is is definitely one to try if you haven't. I'll do it. Um, cool. Well, um, Dustin Spike, thank you so much for joining us today. We're we were super uh, excited to uh, to get you on the horn and um, have you next year's the twentieth anniversary of Terrapin, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. This is the twentieth episode of Pour Another Round, Woo! so that uh, melds <laughs> really well. Serendipity at its finest. That's I right. I think so. <laughs> so appreciate you uh, joining us today. Um, you know, for our listeners, pick up your choice of Terrapin beer wherever you can get it locally here in Wisconsin. All sorts of quick trips. <laughs> and um, But uh, Terrapin's uh, pretty regularly available for certainly on the eastern side of the United States, headed into Puerto Rico soon. Yes, sir. And um, if, if uh, you happen to be in Georgia, head to Athens or Atlanta and get Terrapin right from, uh, from the brewery in the tap room. Take time to stop by and pour another round for us. Cool guys. Cheers.
Thanks for listening to this episode of For Another Round. Be sure to follow us on your favorite social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, at For Another Round. We'll be sharing news and information from breweries that are friends of the show. You can find out what we're drinking and hear about upcoming featured breweries. Until next time, be sure to pour yourself another round.